welcome to Film Kid Asks, the podcast where I ask questions to working professionals in the film industry from the perspective of someone just getting started. My name is Jordan, and today I'm joined by Sasha Lee Henry, a Canadian director and producer. Her previous short film, Bitches Love Brunch, screened at festivals internationally before being acquired by CBC Gem. She's also an associate producer on Canadian Screen Award winner, The Lockpicker, and the film Black Bodies. Her film, Sinking Ship, is premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sasha. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So you both produce and direct. So before we jump into your work as a director, I would love to hear a little bit about your producing work. So what do you look for in projects that you want to produce? Obviously, you produced um, Sinking Ship as well, which is you directed. Um, But in the projects that you're not directing, what, what do you kind of look for? That's a great question. I really am like, I'd say I'm more of a creative producer than anything. And so I really most formally stepped into the role to like help friends with ideas that I really believed in, but knew wasn't necessarily my story to tell, or I don't necessarily have the uh, like, you know, capacity for. So for example, um, the short that I also produced with Tamar Bird is Black Bodies, which is Kelly Fife Marshall's sophomore short film. I decided to produce that because I, you know, I of course care very much about conversation around race, anti-Black racism, and the fight for equality globally. But it is really emotionally taxing to kind of sit and create that work and to make that work because of the kind of imagery that you're looking at, the kind of research that you're doing. And so for me as a director and a writer, it's a hard for me to sit in that kind of space all the time or as often as I'd need to to create. But I do believe in the importance of that storytelling. So when I met Kelly and I got the opportunity to, to join forces with Tamar as her producer, I knew it was really a place that I could offer and to help champion her storytelling, right? Because I myself necessarily aren't the storyteller that is, yeah, best equipped to tell that kind of story. So, yeah. That's amazing. I guess your question, your question, that's why I produce that stuff, but typically that's what I'm looking for is like, if it's not, if I can't tell it's like, oh, is this a storyteller that can tell this story well? And is it like broadening my, my, my scope just as a creative and filmmaker, adding something different that I might not be able to, I wouldn't be able to do myself. Yeah, that's awesome. So why did you choose to produce as well as direct Sinking Ship? Well, beyond I produce most things well. I mean, it's like to ensure your ownership and oversight, but really at the independent level, like when you're just starting out and for quite some time when you're making your own work, you produce because you have to. The reality that you're not producing, like honestly more often than not, I think it's rare that even if they're they're just as a director on something or a director for hire in that way on a short independent film or indie feature, always produces one to ensure your equity and, and that stuff because you are gonna be doing some of that work even if you turn it over in production, you end up helping to find the crew or like your kicking in some of your fees to cover things. So, yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So what are the some of the challenges when you both produce and direct a project? For me, it's very hard to switch my brain over. Like it does take, like in the days leading up to production, I end up telling my collaborator and creative partner, Tanya Thompson, who produces a lot of stuff with me and Megan McCartney, who also produces with us, that like I have to go into director mode and I just can't, like unless it's a producer asking the director a question, I can't really keep concerned with the budget or what might happen or that this cast member isn't there or that type of thing. Because then I start directing for those elements 
events and not for the actual story, right? Like you just become hyper aware of how little time you have with this actor before it goes into overtime to start at the end. That, that's, I don't need all of that drama, Jordan. So <laughs> <laughs> that completely, I mean, that makes sense. A hundred percent. You need to protect that creative space. Yeah. So how do you work to cultivate a positive and productive set environment on a short film where generally there isn't much shooting time and relationships can sometimes be super condensed? That's a good question. I mean, honestly, by trying to be positive and productive, right? Like, and being encouraging to the crew members. I, I was grateful on Sinking Ship. It was my first time working with an AD who was Kelly Five Marshall. Um, and she's a fantastic AD. But I really, I, one thing I learned on this project as a director is like, you really are the captain of a ship. And like, there's, yeah, just keeping the people working with you happy and feeling like they're heard and trying to make myself available to them when they're asking for it, or at least communicate why I can't and let the pros be the pros. Like Kelly's a fantastic AD. I'll let her tell people about time. You know what I mean? I think Nick, who's a cinematographer, was a great cinematographer. I'll let you do your thing and set up and then show me the shot. There's no need for me to kind of hover. I mean, honestly, part of it could also be, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing while everyone's getting ready. So I'm just walking around talking with people and answering questions. And that just seems to be a, a chill approach that people respond to. But yeah, that's really it. Just keeping it positive. At the end of the day, like filmmaking it's hard but a lot of people came together to help execute my vision so biting anyone's head off because something isn't done or isn't looking the way that I wanted or anything like that is not really useful and it's really better to just stay solution oriented and focus on that especially when you're in the middle of production because a tantrum or anything like that doesn't get back that shooting hour it doesn't get back the thing and like there was a time on on our set where like my brain was short-circuiting and I just didn't know how to course correct because we had done a couple versions in different languages of sinking ship and just one of the segments wasn't working and yeah you turn to your producers and the AD who are there to do their jobs and they're like here's what we can do why doesn't she walk off let's bring these people on da, 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 here's a game plan and I was like okay great thanks because I was never coming that to my on, on my own so yeah yeah that's totally fair and so kind of going off of that how do you make sure that you're creating an environment where everyone's working towards your vision while also like making sure that it's collaborative and that you know people feel like they have some creative freedom mm -hmm. or you know I think the things that I'm hard and fast on in terms of like, this is what, ha this is how I see it. this, how I see it. I, I'm, I make that clear. And where there is flexibility, I make that clear, right? Like I know that there has to be three tables. I want kind of like a round shape. It should look like a really fine dining restaurant. What those glasses look like, what thing, I'm open to you showing me options, right? Or like I'll have a reference. My job is to provide you as much as I can to help paint the picture of what I want, but I am very open. And especially if we have the time to, if it's even a day or whatever, for you to run something by me on, on a thought or something like that, like I'm very open. And I think not very many people work in film to just do a job really like even like a even a craft team like you know they don't there's so many other places quite truthfully that you can work for as long and make a lot more money a lot quicker so people are invested in in your film or in the process of filmmaking even if it's just for their own you know I want to work on this set to then go be a thing or do my own stuff they're invested for some kind of reason so honoring that with give, making sure they have the room to creatively weigh in or add their layer to it I think is really important and so 
yeah, just leaving that door open. Sometimes if time doesn't allow, then how I do that is making sure I have the answers they're looking for. So like when we are getting down to the nitty gritty and maybe the production designer doesn't have time to go and pull options and come back and have me him and her, they just need to know what I want. Then like, you know, I can foster a good relationship by doing my part, having their back and knowing that if they have only one Saturday to go and buy certain things that I have my decisions made by then so that they know what they're going to search for because the likelihood is I feel like a production designer that has a clear plan that will go in there they if they see something that does trump what I've asked for or they're like I think this really is it they'll tell me they will tell me right as long as I've kept that like the floor open for that kind of thing they'll you know they'll shoot a text and be like I saw this table at the last minute what do you think type of thing and it's like yeah sure right but at least they know they have enough to go and do the job and they feel like prepared to some degree yeah, that totally makes sense. So what do you think are some of the most important skills that a director can have? Because you did say it was like being the, you know, the captain of a ship and it's a demanding kind of leadership role. So yeah, what do you think are like the, the most important things or skills, I guess, that a director can have to fulfill that role? Historically, directors, I feel like, or like, you know, maybe I'm just like making generalizations based on like the media but it's always the like directors a sensitive flower that must be spoken to in a specific way in order but i find really like for me as like i feel successful as a director because of my communication ad like adaptability right i feel like you need to know how to communicate with so many different people and sometimes while yes you're the director and in the hierarchy of film that means quite a great deal if let's say I'm working with a VFX supervisor, if how I'm describing things is not getting me the end result, is not getting him to understand what I'm seeing, then I need to consider how he does see this or what is happening or what reference I can make so that they do get it. It's me shifting to accommodate that communication style when appropriate because I need to get like, the reality is the VFX supervisor doesn't really have to finish anything. There, no one is expecting a film from it. Like it doesn't go directed by the VFX supervisor, right? It says directed by you. And so you want to make sure, like it is your vision. You do have the most at stake, especially in film when it, when you're at the, the director said, or creatively at stake, you know, that's arguable, but you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, like that's, I think one of the things that made me the most successful, especially in this last time, because the reality of it is people likely aren't getting paid their full, full rates. I mean, everyone got paid and they got paid decently, but no one can ever be overpaid really in film, it feels like, you know, there's always, there's never enough time, all of that stuff. It doesn't get me my film finished if I'm just yelling at my VFX supervisor being like, this is in it, you need to understand me, blah, 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 blah. It sounds like I got a lot off my chest. They probably feel pretty awful and my film's still not done. You know, that's not really helpful to me. So I think... Yeah, like the communication adaptability and being able to take things in stride and discern when it really is like your creative pillar, you can't budge on this. And when there is truly flexibility, like I think being able to make those like know that early on and like, you know, a friend of mine, Chris Agustin, who's a great producer and AD as well, when I was talking to him about a project, he said that was one of the things I think he would advise for this feature of just go through and kind of like at its leanest, you know, what would you, what's the priority? I have to have this, this, that, and the third, and just start to wrap your head around. If you had to make concessions, what would those look like to still creatively um, have the creative integrity of the story still hold up? Because, you know, 
we like to think that it's just at the indie level that you might not have enough budget. But the example that Chris gave was like, I believe it was Jean-Marc Vallée who did Dallas Buyers Club. Forgive me if I'm incorrect. Might be Denny Villeneuve. I think it was, no, it was Jean-Marc Vallée um, who did Dallas Buyers Club. Um, but I think he said, Google this because I'm definitely misquoting it. But essentially like a couple of weeks before production, they lost um, millions from one of the investors they thought they had. And you would never think that John Mark Valet, who's about to make Dallas Buyers Club with Matthew McConaughey at it, right, would still be having the issue of losing millions of dollars from a budget. And that sounds crazy because you're like, if the budget's 25 million and you lost five, you still have 20 million. But have you ever budgeted for $5 million and then needed to find the other $5 million? Like, it's quite a doozy, right? And you had to go back into the script and like come up with a new directing plan for it. So I think even it's like being clear on your vision and what you want and remaining flexible and adaptable on the things that you can't control. The other part to that is because creative, like constraints do breed creativity. I really do believe it. There's some of the things that I, when I think of that have come through, it's because you say we only have, like even when I'm just writing, I always say like, we writers as a writer i'm like it was a snowy day in alaska and production's like lol try again and you're like oh okay it was a snowy day in alberta and they're like lol we're giving you parkdale on a thursday and you need to sell it like that's what and so you know but then that forces you to say like okay how do i make parkdale feel like like the parkdale snowness feel like alaska what can i do how do i start changing these shots that make these like the little hill in parkdale feel like a big ass mountain in Alaska. Even if we are gonna say explicitly, uh, forgive my language, pardon me. Um, but even if we are gonna say that it is, that it is Parkdale, right? If the uh, sentiment of the scene is that this mountain is treacherous and it's a very snowy day, and that's why I was thinking of Alaska, how do I get that from Parkdale? And when you change, when you have that kind of constraint of like, I can't just get the full thing, it really does force you to look at things from different angles that opens up a new way of telling the story or showing it or framing it. Yeah, I mean, completely. And I mean, I think that's something that every kind of student filmmaker or low budget filmmaker, or even again, it seems like all the way up, you're going to have to deal with at some point, or at many points, uh, likely. So what do you feel is the most important part of the process when making a project? Is it putting the team together? Is it prep? Is it the actual production or post? Does it depend? <laughs> uh, at first, I was gonna say I don't know, but I think it, yeah, you're right. It depends on the project. Like for example, so Sinking Ship is entirely VFX. Like other than the tables that they're sitting, I don't know if you guys have a chance to see it, but other than the tables that they're sitting at, it's entirely VFX. So for this one, I would tell you post is hella important it is setting the 70% of the scene. So some of it is, but in general, I think it is the team. It is the team, like I said, there's a lot of different ways that people can be going to make to make money um, in film. And when people are choosing film, it's because they believe in, honestly, this might be cheesy, even if not at that point in time, but at one point in time, they did believe in the magic of storytelling and that it could move people and do something. And so when you're building that team, like knowing why people are investing that time in you and making sure there's people that will like, you know, when you're, when it is 13 hours and it's very cold outside and we're shooting in the middle of Toronto, like people who, even when they're cold, will say, I'm cold, but I'm here, right? Is really what you need because it can feel so arbitrary to make a film. The reality is you turn around, there's 15 people here standing up in the snow in the middle of Parkdale trying to shoot this thing because you said this story could do something for people, 
right? And so finding a team that you hope that you like want to deliver for and has your back during those times, because rather we could all go home and it's likely the world would continue as is. But we're here because we believe there's something in this story, there's something cool, I might learn, da, da, da. you want that energy coming to the team. There are some people who are, might look at your project really just as like a stepping stone. That's fine and sometimes we don't have the pick of the litter in terms of like who we can hire for a crew or what have you, but where possible when you can really like even if not interview, but just like get a sense of that person and kind of what they like and is it the right vibe for your team? There's some projects, for example, when we were doing Black Bodies as a producer, it has to be people that really understand the reverence and like the heaviness of what we're talking about, right? We don't necessarily want anyone on who would come on set and maybe not see the importance of this and be jokey, jokey, jokey. Like, you know what I mean? And similarly, but for something like Bitches Love Brunch, right? There's a lot more room to play and a lot more um, thing to that. And we're gonna be outside all day. So, you know, who seems like they're up for hanging out for something like that or, you know, or some question. I mean, also you're always looking for like the, the best technicians as well, but that's the marriage between like there being the right vibe and energy for what you're trying to make it and like who, who has the skills for the job. Yeah, totally. So you mentioned that uh, singing ship is pretty much entirely visual effects. So I did want to talk a little bit about that. Could you tell us about the process of shooting something that does require visual effects and how you work to achieve your vision in the post-production of the shoot? Because obviously I imagine a lot of it was, you know, creative discussions beforehand, but what did that process really look like for you? That was really interesting because first we were wondering if maybe we could do a practical, like if it would be in the restaurant and then we would just green screen, that we could just green screen kind of the mural. But we had, we realized then like in picking one restaurant, the, the setting and tone of it would have to be decided already. And it was December, which is a high time for restaurant bookings, that kind of thing. So we would, might be like at the risk of having to just work with what we could get. But that's such a big thing because the restaurant sets so much of the like, the scene of it that having to just take what we get if it's like you know Ophin's pub it might not have the same vibe to it and so when we what we did do ahead of time funny enough someone from uh, a post house in the city had reached out around tiff time last year and was like hey you know we do this kind of vfx stuff and so just kicked, picked up a conversation again with them and explained what we were doing and kind of got their advisement being like we're trying to do we book a studio and just go full green screen how much does that cost that type of thing because we didn't know i'm always playing with vfx elements but wasn't sure how much something like that would cost and so we decided yeah to go that route and then once we did, it was a bit nerve like I had reference images and I had references for like even the wave files, but it was a bit nerve wracking shooting it because you're essentially shooting this conversation that like, while sounds great, the actors are delivering, they're killing it is definitely in front of a green screen. And like for my imagination, like it wasn't until very late in the post process, could I even wrap my head around one, it working because nothing, we didn't know for certain whether or not the mural effects would actually work in the way that we wanted to one so one that it worked and two um that it would actually all come together in the way that it did so yeah yeah so the film centers around a very real and grounded conversation between a couple but includes these surreal metaphorical images what sparked the decision to contrast the stylized imagery with the dialogue and performances that feel very like real and human mm -hmm. well and when tanya wrote it like one of the things she talked about was wanting to talk about the the like how 
power changes, power dynamics change, and how because so much of it is based in attraction and that type of thing. And that we they were supposed to be having kind of this like clinical above the surface conversation. And she wrote, so the mural piece and that's movement was written into the script that they were always supposed to be slightly lifted from their emotions because the idea is that they're trying to like kind of hold on to this facade of like, yes, we can talk about this. And this is why, and like, while they do feel that way, their true sentiments are coming out. There is quite an emotional, like, you know, it's some of the stuff they're talking about is hard to hear from someone that you love and really care about. Yeah, so again, the 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 acting in it was great and very, it felt very like grounded despite the kind of surreal imagery. So what were some of the things that you've learned in your approach to directing, maybe from previous projects that you brought into this project? Great question. Actors respond really well to like that character backstory, like giving that to them, because I think that's one of the things that made one of the piece, big pieces of, of feedback I get about Bitches of Brunch is how much it felt like the four girls were friends when they really had just met like a couple weeks before the shoot. And that was about it. And so like spending that time talking through character and who where this person fits, where they sit themselves, where are they really at when we start this, I think is something that I carried over. And I think also, funny enough, a lesson I learned, because they were shooting Bitches of Brunch, I had a very hard time separating like the producer brain from the director brain from the person who wrote it brain type of thing. And just really, like, like I said, letting the people that you've assembled on the team do their thing because they know how to do it and do it well, right? Like, trust that I'm not the only producer that would have thought of like petty cash. You know what I mean? It's likely that the two very competent women that I work with will figure that out as well. And I don't need to let myself get stressed or be preoccupied. I just need to sit in it and like, you know, focus on what I have at hand. Yeah. I learned a lot from this process about filmmaking, but most, most, that's probably what I'd say I brought over with me to this one. So as far as like the backstory, is that something that, I'm not sure if you had rehearsal time or if you just like, that was an over coffee or through email kind of thing. Like how, how did you approach giving the actors that, that kind of backstory? Was that on set? No, 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 no. So we definitely knew, like we knew that these were going to be long takes and they do so much talking and I didn't want to have to like, cut and piece it like if there, if there was a good emotional flow coming through I didn't want to cut and piece it so we did a lot of longer takes and I needed us to have a shorthand you know so that my directing notes didn't have to be too big on set right so we did spend I had two rehearsal sessions um two big rehearsal sessions with the couples and talked with them really yeah about like because where we meet them, we really do pick up in the middle of it, right? Like she's looking at her phone type of thing. So they, it was incredibly important, I think, for them to deliver the way they did to know where this couple has been, right? When he says what he says, what is he referring to in his mind? What is he thinking of when he's like, ah, it's kind of not working for me, right? Because we don't see any of it play out here. So they got to know what it is so that we can be like sensing the energy or like what the emotion is as they're giving it. And so, yeah, we sat down and had two long rehearsal sessions. Jenny, who plays woman, is, you know, of course, the utmost professional, but even Herschel credits her with really helping him. They did a lot of scene work and scene study work together the weekend before, just really settling in as that couple, because it was such a big thing too, that this couple you know, it's a black contemporary French speaking couple on screen and they are sitting there dissecting a relationship and are a bit untethered from 
kind of some of the societal strife that comes with blackness, right? They really are just talking about the relationship. And so for all of us as, as creatives, me, Jenny Herschel, it was really like a juicy opportunity, right? To just like dig in and show black people on screen, really unpacking life and not the fact that they're black. And so I think really it's, we were eager to rehearse and to really get settled into it because it was so fun for everyone to kind of like, yeah, be these people. I don't know how much fun it was for them to keep rehearsing <laughs> the breakup, but yeah. Fair. So as this is an industry that is all about connections and the people that you know, how do you think students can start to build those connections and how did you go about that? Great question. I would say the most useful, for lack of a better term, connection you're probably going to make right now are with your peers, are with the people who have whose taste you are aligned with. They might not necessarily be making work that's as fire as you want it to be, but none of us did. You know, what you're looking for is really the taste. Does this person understand why I make my stories the way I make it? Because I can see when they're talking about their project where they're like, you know, oh, you seem to like similar films, all that. Because one, then you always have a, like, have company to just like, nerd out on films with to be quite honest like when you are in the downtime or in the thick of it and might not be able to pay your rent but you're like i really did love lovecraft country and you have someone to talk about it with because the average person watching doesn't always want to nerd out in the same way that we're like oh did you see that shot type of thing and two because it's someone who is where you are right and is learning as you're learning and can tell you things in real time i think you do want to try to go to events where possible especially events and especially now you know because of the coronavirus pandemic, the racism pandemic, so many initiatives are going on. Like believe the people that are reaching out and saying like, hey, we wanna get to meet new people or what have you. But I would say is manage the expectations. Most network connections that you make aren't going to actually you know, bear fruit for lack of a better term. It's not like in any short timeline. It's very rare that you meet someone, um, especially if someone's more senior than you in the industry, that was like, you, they might exchange cards. They, they do mean, you know, like, oh, that's awesome. I do want to see your film or what have you. You might not hear from them. But most of those connections in my life have borne fruit like years later. It'll be two years after working on the project when I network with them. It's like, oh my gosh, like I have this thing. Or like you're still connected with people on Instagram and you follow, like you see their careers, right? Like when you're working on films with people now, I've like how I've kept up to date with some of the film people that I'm now connected with was through Instagram, right? And just like keeping up with like projects they're working and how things are going. One of the things I'd say is also when you're reaching out, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal and be specific with your ass. A lot of time people, and I was this way too, are just like, hey, Everett DuVernay, I love your work so much. I think you're brilliant. Your glasses are always so pretty. I love the dresses you wear on the red carpet. Your work really moves me. I was just wondering if I could shadow you, right? Ava DuVernay, who has a very packed schedule, really appreciates the sentiment, but genuinely doesn't know how to help you because they're like, oh, can you fly here? She's not going to start thinking about that. Like, you know what I mean? If you can fly there, how long you'll stay there. But if the email says, hey, Ever DuVernay, I know that you're shooting XYZ project in Toronto over the next three weeks. I'm an aspiring filmmaker. Here's a short clip of something I did in school. I would love to be able to come on set for just one day just to kind of shadow you. I, are you open to a meeting to talk about that? Because of what you provided to them with all that information is something to say yes or no to, which is a lot easier for them to reply to than when it's like, hey, Jordan, how do we, you know, how does next week sound? Because they just don't have the time. The other version is people you reach out with it with a heartfelt email and people generally aren't working on anything. They don't know what they would tell you. Like not everybody who has access or experience is a good teacher. 
truthfully or like sees themselves in that mentor or mentee like type of position. So, you know, be easy with yourself, be easy on them. And truthfully, more often than not, chalk it up to, to not taking it personally. They might just genuinely not be able to. And the people who do have the time will make the time. And you you don't need nearly as many connections as you think you do. Uh, one of my early mentors, Randall Okita, always says you often, you really only need just one. You only need one job at a time, like one call, like, and you really do. And I think focusing on it that way and just taking it one step at a time can make it feel a lot more rewarding too, because I think early on we bake in a lot of expectations and we think that we can kind of hack it. Like the world just hasn't seen my particular brand of genius. And as soon as I put it out there, it's going to be on fire. And it's like, that's not necessarily true because we're all still working and learning the craft and the Ira Glass quote is very real you know you have good taste you get into it for some reason but you're working and you're creating that taste none of us stood up to walk and took off like Usain Bolt right we had to really stumble through it so I think that's amazing advice thank you so much so one last thing before I open it up to a few of my friends picking your brain a little bit more for some advice uh do you have any advice for student writers and directors working on films that have really low budgets and how to navigate that? Yeah, the team one becomes particularly important there because if you're in it for money, you're going to be sorely disappointed, uh, especially as your time makers in the film. I think where you can like merge your resources, truthfully, like if you know, if someone on the team has their own gear or something like that like it's worth it to try and find them a small honorarium to work with that person because you'd save a bit on like maybe going to a gear house or you know looking at some of the more charles street video trinity square video are great options they offer low great pricing for different like camera packages and things like that i think don't be afraid don't get frustrated by the constraints lean into them and i think make for what you have access to is what my advice would also be like one of the first things i did after we had pitched bitches love brunch as a short for bravo fact at the time which was a large one of the larger funds that you could get funding for for a short film and they didn't accept it and i was like okay well am i not gonna direct anything until i get grant funding like that might not ever happen and at the time sure how long ago it was instagram had 15 second videos and i was like okay well like i have like 500 followers on instagram that's some kind of audience that's more audience than if i went to a movie theater um or said i was playing something in a movie theater and i have 15 seconds to be able to do something and i just came up with these vignette ideas called to love and back and it was showing the first and last of different relationships and just like put them out there and then shortly after tiff had that like instagram video competition and i submitted to that it didn't get chosen but yeah i had work that lived on and like similarly and the thing was oh this was the other thing is i tried to make it as small of an ask as possible i was really lucky early on through working with tanya and randall so much to be connected to a lot of people who were like intermediate or senior in the industry and i didn't want to for lack of a better term waste the favor ask or something like that on something that I knew was really just I was experimenting with so I was like what is how I came to Instagram because I was like what's the shortest story I could tell like where's the smallest audience how can I make this small enough that the most talented actors I know can give me one hour of their time or I can like put up a call for it because I didn't have much money and I had one friend with a camera so really tried to like kind of hack it for what I could actually make. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So I'm going to open it up to a few of my friends now. So did you have any advice specifically for Black people navigating in the film industry? Is there anything you would say regarding what you should and shouldn't do? I mean, my answer probably two months ago might have been very different from what it is right now. I feel like 
honestly, the industry, the industry as it stands has a lot to figure out on how it needs to right the wrongs. Your job is to continue to be the creative that you are. Like, you know, and for any black people making right now, your blackness is something you obviously can't get rid of, you know? And I think in terms of what you're looking out for is making sure you're working on as many sets as possible that are safe and understand and respect all humans and people so that you, that's not an extra layer of time being taken up in your mental capacity while everyone is learning from the shadow. You're concerned that people are like, you know, either thinking a certain way of you because you're black or what have you. Yeah, as many sets as you can find. Like I recently made a rule because so many of them can be dangerous that I'm not going back on any set that where I'm the first or only diverse hire or, you know, and if I get there and I still am the only BIPOC person, I'm going home. I'm going home because it's been proven enough times that it isn't safe to be the first or the only person on a set of all, I wouldn't even say like, you know, racialized people is very different, but like an all white uh, set. It's, I've seen it happen, I've seen it happen to friends where it can feel safe. And honestly, the magic, the spark that we have for filmmaking, I do believe it is so precious that it's not worth that set experience if it could possibly dim that. Like you gotta know where you are creatively. If like, if your heart can handle, like I'm fortified, I'm committed to this because there are times where you're like, mm, maybe I should do real estate because this isn't working out. You know what I mean? Um, and so if that's in, during the time and you might be tight for money, honestly, go work at Tim Hortons. Don't take the shift. Don't go on the set. Create a better set create a better set get with friends that you know that do believe in anti-racist work and say like let's just shoot something for fun and let's experiment and play it and don't be afraid of that either it's not just all you know getting on set to like level up and level up you want to keep nurturing your creative side so when in doubt if you're feeling like sets aren't places like you know or you don't know how to navigate a set or you're concerned or what have you try to create a set for yourself where you can you know find back that magic because that's really what it's about is about the story that you have inside you to tell you unless you're working to be a technician of some kind in which case i would say regardless of whether you're a technician like on the gaffing or or um or camera side or anything like that is find kinfolk of some kind people that aren't that model the values that you believe in of the world you want to be a part of. And like, if that's a producer that you can find, try to get on their sets. I can't say that these are necessarily the right answers for you, Jonathan, but what I would advise that if you are black, because I mean, in terms of protecting or having to pretend or present yourself as anything other than you are, those days are over, over. Whatever you want, you go in that room and you say it with your chest, just like everybody else. Okay, so first of all, thank you for that answer because I don't think I've ever actually heard a filmmaker of sorts, well, not necessarily, but kind of just not, it's, all, it's not about leveling up, it's not about doing that, it's about being authentic, which I really appreciate, like that's really good advice, thank you. My question is, when you decide to take on projects, like this is a French, like what goes off inside of you when you know that this is something you want to work on? Like, you know when you kind of get approached with the project and you kind of feel iffy about it like what is that pushing factor for you that this is something I want to be a part of this is an environment I want to be on like that kind of thing well bitches of brunch I wrote and directed that one and so the what pushed me to want to do that was I watched Tyler Perry's four colored girls and I was like I don't know which four colored girls this was for because it wasn't me like I'm a black woman and I don't see myself in this film that's called four colored girls and I was like my reality wasn't like abortions and stairwells and getting HIV it was that I was 20 something and I couldn't afford brunch but I really wanted to go and I lived on Queen West and it was a fun time but I was very broke 
that was my reality. And so that's what kind of like, and any time where I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm not seeing that really is what it is. If I try to do like a search of it in my mind, like I see a lot, whether I'm watching it all, but you know, just like, as we're all taking in media, you start to know just like, oh, it's been a while because I did make Bitch of Brunch before Insecure had fully come into the, into for before we had um, chewing gum, at least access to it here. Issa definitely had misadventures before then. But I mean, the day that, the year that we were writing it, none of those shows were on yet. And I was like, where's girlfriends? I need, where's our girlfriends for now? Like every, every depiction of black women right now is she's like someone's baby moms or like getting kicked out because, and I was like, that just isn't the reality of so many black women that I knew and we weren't there. When it comes to taking on a project that I produce, it really is just like two things. Oh, you're doing something that I can't do, that I, that I can't see or whatever. And I would watch this. I think people would watch this. I think people need to watch it. Ryan Cavan is a writer I quote all the time, even though I've really only met him once, but he said all film, which I believe all art is having a conversation. And what you're trying to do is figure out like what's already been said, who most recently said it, do we need to add anything new to it? And if you're not offering something new, a new perspective, a new voice addition to what has already been said, then the question comes, what is the point of making it? So I'm really looking for things that either take the traditional and offer something new, or like, you know, can see, like take a subtle tweak and really just change the, the way that we are used to seeing this. Really in Sinking Ship, you know, typically conversations like what's being had, especially for Jenny who plays the woman, are reserved for older white women, right? The divorcee who's finding herself, Julia Roberts and Eat, Pray, Love. So just by making them Black, and like I said, not talking about race wars or something like that, just talking about the relationship, to me that is like if someone else had brought that, that's why I responded so much to it when Tanya sent to me is the opportunity to just add in that layer, just broadens the cinema world as we've created it for Black people. And that's what I'm trying to do. Any project that does that for a, for a group of marginalized people, you know, racialized or just the voices haven't really been heard, I really respond to that. I was wondering if you had any leads for like young writers who really are hungry for experience or mm. want to get their work out there or just want to like grow as a writer and kind of maybe even seek out some sort of a mentor, but what kind of leads or what kind of advice do you have in that circumstance? Join, honestly, the best, the last good thing about Facebook is the groups. That's not true. It's also the last worst thing about Facebook, but the last best thing about Facebook is the groups. Like I'm in BIPOC TV and film. There's like a story coordinator group, things like that. I think story coordinator is the way to start, start off to work your way into a room. You do need to write something though, as a writer, people ask for a sample. So even if it's a 10 minute page thing or whatever, um, do that. The best way I would say is get into a writing group. Look for writing groups on Facebook. There's something called Ink Drinks that was around a while ago. I don't know if that still is, but go there. There and honestly, you'll see 200 people, you'll feel very intimidated, you won't want to talk to any of them, and then there'll be one person who also feels intimidated and won't want to talk to anyone standing there, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do you like? And they're like, I like that, and you're like, okay, cool, and now you have one writer friend. Or create one of your own, you can create one of your own of like getting five writers, or just do a post. Honestly, when I, after making Bitches of Brunch, I knew, uh, I was grateful for all the senior people I had in my network, but I was really lacking black women. And I quite honestly was talking to someone about it and they said, oh, there's this group called It's a Sisterhood. And I wasn't joining it for film, but I was just joining it to meet other black women in the city. And I just posted in there like one day, I was like, hey, I'm a filmmaker. I would love to connect with some people, whatever. And I met 
Kay Douglas, who worked at WIF and who is now sitting on the board of the Real World Film Festival. I met another woman who was an animator. I know like you do kind of just have to put yourself out there. Were several of those conversations quite dry and actually didn't turn out to much after meeting them? Yes, but that's not the end of the work. It's part of the work we're doing now. Where we don't have money, we spend the time. Alrighty. So before we wrap this up, I did ask you to prepare five film recommendations. So I would love to hear what those are and why you chose them. Okay. City of God. Just because I remember watching it first time and was like, this movie, how, how, what? Um, City of God. There's a foreign film called Wild Tales. Similar thing. Like I remember viscerally being like, uh, the TV being like, what type of um, reaction. There's a movie called Rafiki made by a filmmaker named Wanuri. It's a queer love story set in, I don't remember the country, but it's in the continent of Africa. She describes her work as Afro bubblegum. I saw it at TIFF. How she describes it is exactly what it is. It is beautiful and really well done. If you're into the process of filmmaking, I would check out the story of it because the film, there's still quite, uh, that's illegal about, uh, you know, a queer identity in the country where she was making it. Um, And so they didn't want to, they were like trying to ban it and not have it be played. And she really like, you know, like champion that for it to get seen in the places that it needed to be seen. Casino, it's Robert De Niro, it's good old shoot 'em up. It's not as long as, not as long as Scarface. And it just is like Robert De Niro in that suit as Ace with Dan DeVee, like, it's just Joe Pesci, you know, it's just all the good things. And then, I don't know, some kind of rom-com. I want to say like, I mean, I loved Girls, there's like, I don't know, but I'm holding that space for like, Girls Trip, he's just not that into you, which is like one of the greatest ensemble romance stories. I don't know what Valentine's Day thought it was doing, didn't like it. He's just not that into you. Um, something borrowed, crazy stupid love, just like holding that genre of like really good of that kind of film, that spot. That's not at all a fifth movie, but that's what I have to offer. <laughs> that's awesome. I would argue that Love Actually did it first and did it best. However, Love Actually was fantastic. Yeah, okay, I sound corrected. Love Actually is yes, 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 yes. But yes. The other, the other choice is amazing. Um, thank you so so much for coming on the podcast. That's no all problem. I have. For this episode of Film Kid Asks, uh, be sure to subscribe and feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram or join our Facebook group. New episodes come out every Saturday.